Good morning, everyone. Nice and bright good morning, that's good. Everyone should keep awake this morning. We want to start in John chapter 6 and at verse 70. We sometimes ask, why on earth did the Lord choose Judas in the first place? The Lord says that in John chapter 6 and at verse 70 where he says, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a diabolos? Now, you sometimes wonder, well, why did he choose Judas? What was the point of that? I mean, we can understand why he chose the rest of the disciples, but why Judas? Did he actually make a mistake? And did he find out later on that Judas was going to betray him and as a result get quite a shock? Well, verse 64 is very clear. John 6, verse 64, Jesus knew right from the start who they that believed not and he knew right from the start, right from the beginning, who should betray him. And so that's why when the Lord Jesus Christ chose the 12 disciples, he had to spend all night in prayer because he knew right from the beginning Judas would betray him. And that required incredible strength, strength that he could only get from his God to deliberately choose someone who was going to cause him a bitter personal betrayal. It's quite sad, really, because Judas could have been the best of all the disciples. I think we'll be able to show that this morning. He had the greatest potential. And in a sense, this study is encouraging because it shows the lengths that God will go to to get us to change. But there's also a warning here. And that is, over the next 2,000 years, just because you're in the ecclesia, you can be a Judas. And like Judas, you can start off very, very well in the truth, but tragically you can develop the wrong attitude to your Lord and you can eventually be in the truth for the wrong reason. I think it's important that the Lord did choose Judas because it's telling us that if we leave the truth, the Lord takes that as a bitter personal betrayal. When anyone comes into the truth, the Lord develops an incredible love for every single person who gets baptised. And you think, oh, well, I'm just going to leave the truth. The Lord says, if anyone leaves the truth, that causes great hurt to me. And in a sense, when someone does leave the truth, we're not totally shattered because the same thing happened to the Lord with Judas. Well, we've been saying that Judas was okay at the start and then he developed some of these wrong attitudes. Can we prove this? And yes, we can. Come back to Luke chapter 6 and at verse 16, which does seem to indicate that he was okay at the start, that there's things that happened to him that caused him to eventually betray the Lord Jesus Christ. John 6 verse 16, Judas Iscariot, which also became a traitor. That's worth noting in your margin, he became a traitor. But the point is, even though the Lord knew he would end up bad, he didn't say, well, look, he's a waste of time. No, 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 he did everything he could to try and turn him around so that the good could overcome the evil. Well, I've just said the good could overcome the evil. Did he have any good points? You know, 
Perhaps the best way to show that he did have his good points is go back to the Old Testament. You might say, why on earth would we go to the Old Testament when we're talking about Judas? The Lord gives us the key. And he says that if you want to understand the mind of Judas, you've got to go back to a character in the Old Testament, Ahithophel. And the Lord in John 13 specifically quotes Ahithophel and he applies it to Judas to tell us that if we want to understand Judas, we first must understand Ahithophel. And we all know who Ahithophel was. He was David's closest counsellor, his best friend. And he turned against him. Why? Because he could never get over the treatment of David towards Bathsheba. You might say, well, why would he care about Bathsheba? It was his granddaughter. And when that happened, Ahithophel was dreadfully upset and he wanted David dead. And as soon as Absalom rebelled, he very quickly joined in the rebellion. All right, so let's go back to Psalm 41 verse 9. We're first going to concentrate on some of the good characteristics of Judas. How do we do that? We look at the good characteristics of Ahithophel and apply them to Judas as we're going to see. So we start off in Psalm 41 and at verse 9. Very applicable in the first place to Judas. Psalm 41 verse 9. He is my own familiar friend. And in the first couple of years that was the case with the Lord and Judas. His own familiar friend. You know what it's like when you see a familiar friend? You see him at Bible school and automatically you're back to when you met them the last time. You're so relaxed amongst their company. It's the same with Jesus and Judas in whom I trusted. And for the first couple of years, he did trust him. Then it goes on to say, and this is the verse that the Lord quotes in John 13, which did eat of my bread, he lifted up his heel against me. Now the Septuagint has a better translation of verse 9. It's worth noting in your margin. He says, Ahithophel, and hence Judas, was a man of peace in whom I set my hope. And that's that last bit that's worth writing next to verse 9. In whom I set my hope. I believe that Judas was the Lord's great hope. He had exceptional natural ability, possibly above Peter and John. And therefore here he was as leadership material amongst the disciples. Again, there's more of Judas's points in Psalm 55 and at verse 13 that we apply hence to Judas, to, from Ahithophel to Judas. Right, so we're looking at the good points of Ahithophel and applying them to Judas. Psalm 55 and at verse 13. It was thou, again, applicable to Ahithophel, therefore Judas, my equal. And the word equal means of one soul, we thought the same. My guide and my acquaintance. And the word acquaintance means to know intimately. What it's telling us is that Judas became a confidant of the Lord. There's things that he told Judas that he told no one else. Verse 14, we took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. What it's telling us is that David and Ahithophel and hence the Lord and Judas had some brilliant eye-opening discussions on the Bible together. They had a lot in common. They were in company they had very similar views on many things. Now let's come back to Matthew chapter 10 and at verse 14 and we'll see where Judas was quite good at the first. 
The Lord's put a lot of time, I believe, into Judas to try and bring out the good side of his character. We're in the second full year when things are still going well. The relationship between the Lord and Judas is very close. And halfway through the second year, we all know the story, how he divides the disciples into twos and sends them out to preach the gospel. And so therefore, in verse 2, you've got Peter who is teamed with Andrew. You've got James who is teamed with John. And verse 4 tells us who the Lord teamed with Judas. Who is it? Simon the Canaanite. Literally it means Simon the Zealous. He's elsewhere called Simon Zelotes. Here we've got someone who has got incredible zeal for the truth, a strong-minded man with a passion for the truth who spoke his mind. And these two men worked together and at the beginning it was absolutely fantastic for Judas. But he had his bad points. And again we go back to the Old Testament to look at the bad points of Ahithophel and see how they came out in Judas. 2 Samuel 16 and at verse 23. Second Samuel 16 verse 23, it says, The counsel of Ahithophel, with which he counselled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the word of God. That's how brilliant he was. It's as if you had asked the word of God for an answer. And more than that, as far as Ahithophel was concerned, and hence Judas, any question on the Bible, you would go to him. But he had his bad points. Judas loved money. Now that seems strange. Why on earth would the Lord then make him treasurer? Surely it would increase the temptation. No, no, no. The Lord wanted him to be faithful in that particular area to overcome the temptation on that particular area so that then he could concentrate on the bigger problems in his character. And at first it worked. For the first couple of years he was quite faithful. And why did the Lord give him the job of looking after the bag? He obviously was very talented, very organised. It wasn't just paying the bills, it was organising the food and places where they would stay. He was the best. But tragically, like Ahithophel, he had a very, very strong ego. Ahithophel was the greatest counsellor of David and in the incident of Absalom, David didn't listen to him and because Ahithophel had such a huge ego, he couldn't handle it. Have a look in verse 23. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass, he arose and got home to his house, to his city. He put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulchre of his father. Brothers and sisters, what spirit would drive someone to do something like that? There's something strong there. He is a brilliant man, a brilliant scholar. But there's a huge ego. They don't listen to me. The cleverest of all, the smartest of all, I will kill myself. And the Lord tragically saw the same attitude in Judas, someone who had a very strong ego, someone who was very easily offended. And once you offended him, like Ahithophel, he held a grudge that he could not get over. And so therefore, as a result of that, we're talking about how the Lord treated people. Sometimes to people like Peter, he is very strong and direct. 
With Judas, he had to be so, so careful. And there's a powerful lesson in that. Everyone, according to their personality, we need to deal differently with. Those who are strong, we need to be a little stronger with. Those like Judas, we have to be very, very careful. And that's the case, as we're going to see in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, sadly, is the turning point in Judas's life. For the first two full years, everything is going okay. But then we come to the end of the second full year. That second full year he spends in Galilee. He's got enormous popularity and it needs to come to a head because people are simply following him for what they can get out of it. And that comes to a head in John chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. We know the record well. It's when he feeds the 5,000. And in verse 15, the people are going to make him king, whether he wants it or not. They're going to make him king by force. And the Lord knows it's a very dangerous situation for his disciples and in particular for Judas. Judas was desperate to see the Lord as king. Why? Well, we all say because he'd have a position of power, but more than that, he would be the minister of finance for the whole world. He knew the prophecies that the wealth of the Gentiles would come in and he felt, I will be able to take my skim off the top. Half a percent of $1 billion is a lot of money. And the Lord realised that Judas, in verse 26, was part of the class who was attracted to him who sought him, not because of the greatness of the Lord, but because of what they could get out of it, because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And the Lord has very strong words in verse 53. It horrified many of of his disciples and they no longer follow him. And the Lord says, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood hath eternal life and I'll raise him up at the last day. As far as the general disciples, talk of eating blood and drinking flesh was disgusting and they left him. But it also horrified Judas because Judas felt the truth was there for what he could get out of it. As the Lord says, no, 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 you need to shed blood. You've got to sacrifice yourself for other people, Judas. It's the opposite to his attitude. And so therefore, in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And it's a moment of crisis for Judas. He should have left the Lord, but he did something far worse. He stayed in the midst of the disciples, disguised as a very close follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 67, the Lord says, are you going to go away? Judas, something's changed. Everything is okay for the first two years. What are you going to do? And the Lord answers on Judas's behalf in verse 70. The Lord answered, Have not I chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil? One of you actually should go. And he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he was the one who should betray him, being one of the twelve. 
And why does he mention that Judas is a betrayer here? I believe what we've got here in John chapter 6 is a major turning point in the life of Judas because he was attracted to the truth for the wrong reason. He wasn't attracted because of the greatness and because of the beauty of the Lord's character. He was attracted because he could see the Lord had incredible power and with that power he would establish the kingdom. Imagine the benefits to me and it slowly dawned on him the Lord is not going to set up the kingdom. Now, right now is the best time to set up the kingdom. Thousands of people are following him and if he's not going to set up the kingdom now, he never will. And it hit him. I've made the wrong choice. And if I'm not going to get the kingdom now, I should get whatever I can out of it for myself. And it's at this point in the last year and a half that he starts to steal from the bag. He accumulated a lot of money. Acts 1 verse 18 hints that he had already purchased some land. It's a low act. It's something like a drug addict who steals from his friends. We've got a big problem in the Ecclesia here, haven't we, really? We've got the treasurer who is stealing money from the collections. How would you handle it in your Ecclesia if thousands of dollars are being stolen from your Ecclesia? We'd have meetings, we'd, we'd have AB's discussions, we'd be thinking, how do we handle this situation? The Lord did nothing. He said nothing. Because in this situation, there was no benefit in taking Judas on. Judas would only change when Judas wanted to. And so therefore, the Lord does not deal with this situation straight on. He continues to try and inspire Judas to change. We come across to Matthew 16 and at verse 21. That's how things continued for the next year. For a full year, he is a thief. We've now got six months to go and the Lord is about to make his way down to Jerusalem and he introduces something new to the disciples. Judas still has not been impressed by the moral teaching of the Lord. He has had no effect on Judas whatsoever. So now there's a distinct change in the record as we've got six months to go and from that time Jesus very clearly began to show unto his disciples how he would go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised again the third day and there's only one disciple who very clearly knew exactly what the Lord meant and that was Judas. And he knew that things weren't safe for the disciples. It gets even worse. Come across to John chapter 12. Judas starts to realise not only is the Lord not safe, I'm not safe either. John chapter 12 and at verse 10. The chief priests now are starting to want to get the disciples. John 12 and at verse 10, they now want to kill Lazarus. And Judas realised that if they're going to get Lazarus, they're going to get the rest of the disciples. And again, that's part of the motivation to betray the Lord. He knew the Lord was done and finished. It's exactly the same as we mentioned before. Ahithophel knew or felt sure that David was going to die. Psalm 41 and verse 8 seems to indicate that David had a disease that was going to kill him. Let's swap sides and Judas is the same. 
Funnily enough, the final straw only came about six, months, six days before the Lord is going to be crucified. We're in John chapter 12 and at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, the Lord comes to Bethany. And we've mentioned this before, they make him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was at the table. Then Mary takes a pound of ointment, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the ointment. And the Lord looks down at Mary at his feet. She's possibly the only one besides Judas who realised what the Lord was going to go through. In a week he would be dead. She's got a mixture of love and great sadness. It's the last chance to say goodbye and she wants to show her love and she gets this jar and pours it all over the Lord. It was worth $60,000. And we think, what an incredible waste. Surely that would have been better to be given to the poor and needy, but right now Mary realised the most needy person in the world was the Lord. What a week he had before him. The incredible opposition of the people. His closest friends would reject him. And I believe, brothers and sisters, he received incredible reassurance. At least one woman understands. At least one woman loves me. And at least one woman is with me the whole way. And in a very real sense, there was one woman who was with him the whole way. If you tip $50,000 of ointment over someone, that smell is going to linger for a long time and I believe that smell stayed in the garment of the Lord right up until the end. The garment was taken off by Herod. They did shocking things to the Lord. The garment was put back on him. He smelled the smell of the ointment of a woman who loved him. And right up until the end, when that garment was taken off, you would smell the love of Mary. You know, the Lord realised how much that would help him. And he would be so horrified as he hears this whispering, oh, it's disgraceful. $50,000, why wasn't that given to the poor? And it's only Judas who has the temerity to say, why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor in an instant? He works out exactly how much it was. The rest of the disciples just guessed. This he said, verse 6, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, he had the bag and put what was put therein. In another record, Judas says, what an incredible waste. Oh, he was furious. If this stupid woman had put the money in the bag, I would be $50,000 better off. Isn't it interesting? That's how Judas looked at the Lord. Things for the Lord are a waste. The Lord is not worth it. And why didn't he think the Lord was not worth it? Because he no longer loved his Lord. Oh, what a shocking situation. How is the Lord going to deal with it? He looks down at Mary, perhaps she's in tears, wondering, have I done the wrong thing? Have I been wasteful? Should I have given it to the poor? And he looks at two people, Judas and Mary. One loved him, the other hated him. One is conscious of no one but the Lord, the other is conscious of no one but himself. One is generous, the other is mean and selfish. 
Mary's looking at him, Lord, what do, what do I do? And the Lord is so careful not to destroy a beautiful situation. And he doesn't. He doesn't want to expose the hatred and the selfishness of Judas. And the Lord makes sure that Mary receives some of the most incredible praise that has ever come from his lips. But that still leaves Judas. And the Lord realises, I've got to deal with this. Judas must realise he's got a big problem. To quote from Matthew 26 and at verse 10, the parallel record, he says to Judas, why are you giving her trouble? It's brilliant. If the words of the Lord were too strong, Judas would have run then and there. He's a very sensitive person with a huge ego. The words had to be strong enough for Judas to realise, I've got a big problem. Why are you giving her trouble? Judas, you're the one with the problem. But even this very, and it was, it really was a very sensitive, soft rebuke. Even that is too much for Judas. How dare he talk to me like that? He's finished anyway. He knows it. He realises he's going to be dead and buried and I will simply help him. And so in Matthew 26, Judas has swapped sides. Come across to Matthew 26. It's four days later. He has to wait four days later before he has the chance to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in the Gospel of Matthew from verse 6 to 13 is the same story that we've just read of in John 12 but it's out of chronological order. It's mentioned as though it happens four days later. Why is it put in here? Well the incident that we've just read of in John 12 is the final straw for Judas. And the proof of that is one word in verse 14. Then, and it's worth putting a circle around the word then. In other words, as a result of what's just happened in the incident of the anointing of the Lord's feet, Judas Iscariot is absolutely determined to go and betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he does. They work out how much money is going to be paid in verse 16 and from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now we skip across to John 13, which is the Lord in the upper room. And the focus on the upper room is how the Lord treated Judas. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you a question. You're sitting there having a meal with your close friends and one of them has a bitter personal betrayal. Has anyone here been betrayed by a very close friend? Anyone here who's been betrayed by a very close friend? Yes? How did that make you feel? How did you feel about that? Pretty horrible? You felt absolutely decimated. Could you get over your hurt at first? No. It hurt like mad. It's a close friend and they've betrayed me. And you go to bed and you're thinking about it. And you finally get, up to, get off to, to sleep and at 3am, bang! And what hits you is the hurt 
And it's that person. Did your friend uh, actually try and kill you? This friend did. And the Lord is having a meal with a close friend who betrayed him and is waiting to kill you. And he's sitting in that meal waiting for the opportunity to betray and kill you. What's the Lord's attitude to that man? How did the Lord treat him? At the end of chapter 13 and at verse 1, it says he loved them all, including Judas, to the uttermost. Verse 2, you've probably got a note in your margin, during supper, Judas is still thinking of how I can betray him and the Lord is doing everything he can to change him. Judas, you still can change. And he rises up from supper in verse 4. He lay aside his gums, he took a towel and girded himself. He pours water into a basin and began to wash. And again, I don't want to go into it, but probably the first disciples whose feet he washes is Judas. He takes off his sandals and he gently washes his feet. And on his feet was the dirt from the road from the high priest's house and he washes that off. Judas, I'm sure he caught his eye. Judas, you can be forgiven of what you've just done. At the end of verse 10 he says, all of you disciples are clean except Judas. Yes, despite your faults, despite your arguments, the rest of you disciples have been forgiven and Judas, you can be as well. Verse 18, Judas, you're not fooling me. I know what I'm doing. I know who I have chosen. It's fulfilling the scripture. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. And he quotes Psalm 41. Remember, Judas had a brilliant mind on the scriptures. And you can imagine that spinning around in his mind. I am the one who is fulfilling scripture. Judas, you're not forcing me to go ahead with what I'm doing. Don't think that. And you know, there's some of us who feel that Judas was trying, they think his motives weren't too bad. They're simply trying to force the Lord to become the Messiah. But I don't get that from verse 18. He's lifting up his heel against me and he wants to grind me into the grave. Verse 12. Judas, do you know how much this hurts? He's troubled in spirit. That word troubled in spirit, when it says the Lord is troubled in spirit, is a very strong word. Remember when the Lord came and Lazarus had already died, Mary said to him, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And it says then he was troubled in spirit. It's the same word used here. It's telling us that the Lord had great regard for Judas, almost as much for Mary, Martha and Lazarus. I'm really upset, Judas, with what you're doing. Now we've got to come across to Matthew 26 and at verse 22. As we see how the Lord is dealing with Judas. Matthew 26. 26 and verse 22. As they're reading, he says, one of you are going to betray me. And they are incredibly upset. It's the same word used of the Lord's upset in the Garden of Gethsemane. And every one of them kept on saying, Lord, is it I? All around the table, Lord, are you talking about me? Lord, is it I? Am I the one you're talking about? 
And that kept going for quite some time till finally Judas, who betrayed him, finally says, Master, is it I? You think that's ridiculous. Why would he ask that question when the Lord said, Thou hast said? Well, Judas really stood out. The rest of them were upset. He was not upset at all. And the rest of them are asking the question. So he thinks, wow, I'm standing out like crazy here. Is it I? Yes, it is. Judas, I want you to realise you've got a problem. You're a betrayer. I know it. You know it. I'm not going to interfere. You have to make the choice. But brothers and sisters... There's a difference between the two questions. The question of the disciples is put in verse 22. The question of Judas is put in verse 25. What's the difference? Exactly. There's a very powerful point. The rest of the disciples use the term Lord, a title of love and respect, where Judas saw the Lord simply as Master Rabbi, a cold, formal title, almost like Sir. And that is a key issue. Judas has stopped loving his Lord. All right, come back to John 13 and at verse 26. The Lord is continuing to try and appeal to Judas to inspire him to change. He then dips the sop and we all know what happens here. Basically everyone's reclining around a large table, everyone gets a piece of bread, dips it in the dish and takes it to himself. It is a symbol of honour and love and respect to get a piece of bread, dip it in and give it to someone else. Judas, I'm not against you. I want you to change. And in verse 27, after he's eating this piece of bread, which is a symbol of the Lord's love, the thought enters into his heart, betray him. And it's all too much for the Lord. He says, Judas, I can't handle it anymore. I cannot stand being at this table knowing you are thinking the way you are thinking. It is hurting me. Whatever you're going to do, do it now. And in verse 30, the Lord would have been shattered by one word and that is, he went out immediately. The Lord was ripped apart by what they were doing to him but with Judas... He made his mind up in an instant. There's no struggle as far as he's concerned. The Lord is appealing one after the other. It has not affected him one little bit because Judas has totally given himself over to the other side. And there is more in in store for the Lord. There is more upset in store for the Lord when we go to the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 and at verse 49. There is the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's these old, gnarled olive trees. The moon is up being Passover and there's all these shadows in the garden. He's right in the midst of the garden and he has finally, after three hours of prayer, stood up, determined to go ahead with it all. And suddenly the garden is surrounded by fire. The fire of the lanterns and the flaming torches the Roman soldiers, the temple guards, the leaders. And who is leading him? 
Judas. He knew there would be a signal. What's it going to be? Judas comes up, and even in our authorised version, almost hearty, Hail, Master, and kisses him. And it's not a peck on the cheek. It is a fervent kiss, as if the Lord is the greatest and closest friend. Brothers and sisters, if this happened to you, what would you do? Unfortunately, I know what I would do. Whack! But the Lord says, friend. A word always used with a touch of disapproval. The Lord was so devastated. He'd been through an incredible three hours of intense prayer and meditation and this is the first thing he has to face but he's totally in control. Friend, you're supposed to be a friend. Why are you betraying me with a kiss? But that's not why the Lord was really upset. He was mainly upset for Judas. Judas is lost. He won't change. Well, so hang on now, I've got a bit of a problem with that. Because in Matthew 27 and at verse 3, it says, Judas, who had betrayed him and saw that he was condemned. You know, for six months he'd wanted to do this act. And isn't it so typical of sin? I really want to do something. And once you've done it, you think, why? And that realisation hit Judas. Look at what they're going to do to the Lord. They've hurt him already. But more than that, I've swapped across and joined sides with those men. They are evil, immoral, unjust men. I've condemned the Lord to them. And he gets the money and he throws it on the ground. I don't want to be part of this. It's so wrong. And he repented. Verse 3. He repented. And we say, well, the story ends up fine. Here is some, someone who repents. We've got a problem. Why does the record say he repents? What's the normal definition of repentance? What happens before you turn around? Now, I agree with that totally. You turn around and head in the opposite direction. But what's got to happen before you turn around? You've got to yell out, I'm going deaf. Sorry? But what's got to happen before you can change? What's got to happen before you confess? Sorry? And? Before that? How do you feel about what you've done? Upset. Filled with grief. I can't believe what I've done. You go to your Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me and you're absolutely determined to go in another direction. That's not the word used here. It's only the first part of it. All Judas has, and it's worth writing next to verse 3, is remorse or regret. 
There's no doubt whatsoever that he felt upset about what he's done, but that is it. And that is so powerful for us, brothers and sisters, because quite often we do some dreadful things that we're upset about, but that is it. We don't go to the next stage of pleading for the Lord for forgiveness and going in the opposite direction. And that's exactly the same with Judas. He was really upset with what he'd done. But he doesn't ask the Lord for forgiveness and he doesn't go in the opposite direction. He just has regret. And in verse 5, he departed and hanged himself. You know, there's an enormous contrast between Peter and Judas. Both of them denied the Lord Jesus Christ and they both had a totally different sort of repentance. Peter had full repentance that we talked about before because he loved the Lord but not only that, he was the sort of person who was prepared to humble himself and go to the Lord with tears streaming down his face and saying, Lord, please forgive me. But Judas couldn't do that. He didn't love the Lord and he was too proud to say he was wrong. Brothers and sisters, the stupidity of the male ego. Oh, I'm too proud to go before the Lord, the Lord who welcomed people to come and say, I am so sorry. Oh no, my pride is too important. Oh, it's far better to kill yourself. How ridiculous. How disappointing. The evil of a strong ego. Let's conclude in 1 Corinthians 11. Don't you love it when the speaker says, let's conclude? Don't you hate it when he goes on for another half an hour? I won't do that. I've got about 45 minutes. I'm just going to go through the prophets the Old Testament, the New Testament, at least another 45. So just get comfortable. Change the tape, exactly. I'll be going for another half an hour. No, I'll go for another minute and a half. I think you can hold out that long. You know, in a sense, this story is quite encouraging. The lengths that the Lord will go to change us. Sometimes we sit there on a Sunday morning and we say we are too bad, brothers and sisters, have you done what Judas has done? Judas could have properly repented. No one has done anywhere near as bad as Judas. Everyone in this audience can be forgiven of all that they have done. That's the message that comes out in the story of Judas. And the Lord in the upper room... The Lord, when we come before the memorial table, is trying to do everything he can to get you to change. He wants you to change. Are you going to be stopped change for a reason as stupid as Judas's reason? And on a Sunday morning, Paul, who received this off the Lord Jesus Christ, says there can only be two attitudes. On a Sunday morning, you can either be like Judas or like the Lord. 
And the two attitudes come out in verse 23 and there are two words that I want you to underline. They are the two attitudes you can have on a Sunday morning. I have received of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23, that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, put a circle round betrayed and right next to that Judas. And then in verse 24, and when he had given thanks, put a circle round given thanks and right above that, Jesus That's the two attitudes on a Sunday morning. Betrayal or given thanks. And betrayal, as we know, means we've swapped sides. It's telling us that there's something out there in the world that is too appealing or more important than the Lord and we are sitting there on a Sunday morning and we no longer love our Lord. It's a great problem because we have not been touched by the moral teaching of the Lord his beautiful personality, his wonderful words have not touched us. Physically, we're in the ecclesia, but our heart is in the camp of the enemy. We are a betrayer. That's one attitude. The other attitude is the attitude of gratitude. Sounds better when you're an American, doesn't say that. The attitude of gratitude. And that's the issue. We have the attitude of gratitude. We are overawed by the incredible love that is seen in the way in which the Lord treated other people. And we are absolutely determined to truly repent and do everything we can for one who we love so, so much.